0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Destiny Ann to the show. Destiny Ann made it onto my For You page on TikTok about a year ago, speaking about respectful and responsive parenting, but in a way that I have never heard it or seen it presented before. She's a certified parenting coach, an upcoming author that got a book deal from her TikTok and all the incredible content that she teaches. And Destiny Ann is here with us today to share her perspective on gentle parenting. In this episode, we talk about how culture and upbringing impact your perspective on responsive or gentle parenting. We also discuss some of the misconceptions around this approach to parenting. Things like allowing children to disrespect you or walk all over you or that there are no boundaries in this approach to parenting. And Destiny Ann shares personal examples about how she parents her daughters in a way that is both gentle but also firm. One of my all-time favorite quotes of hers is, I put my foot down, I just do it gently. I can't wait for you all to hear this conversation with one of my favorite TikTokers, Destiny Anne. Before jumping in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Nayua2003 and it's titled, Great Questions. Erica is a really good interviewer. Her guests are great, but it is also her skill at asking the right questions. I think she knows her audience very well and is great at getting information out of guests that really matters to us listeners. Thank you so much for this review. And I do think I have a really good understanding of you, my audience, because in one way, I am you. I am a mom of three. And in another, I hear from so many of you in DMs and comments all the time, which really helps me keep a pulse on. What you're going through and what is important and what matters to you. When you leave a review or share the podcast with friends, it is the highest form of praise for creators like me. So I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for this thoughtful review. Now let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on Honest Conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Destiny, and thank you so much for taking the time to join the podcast. We've been back and forth trying to make this happen. I'm so excited to have you here with us.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. It has been a journey trying to get here. So I am glad that we are finally sharing space together.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited. I have to say, of all the TikTokers that land on my For You page, you are totally one of my favorite. Oh, I uh, yeah. So relatable. I learned so much from you, but it also feels very like non-judgmental, like you're like in this parenting thing with me, there's a real sort of camaraderie I feel in the way that you present the things that you share. I'm so curious before we dive into some of that and what you teach on your TikTok, like how in the world does one find themselves to have like a 1.5 million TikTok audience? Like how does that happen?
1: Honestly, I joke. I say this all the time that I feel like I snuck in the back door. <laughs> like this is... <laughs> this is not the plan at all and i have been in the space of conscious discipline and positive parenting for a very long time but i've just been doing it in my house and so i was a business coach before and that transitioned into mom business owners and then that kind of transitioned into balance and talking about parenting and so my daughter my nine-year-old she was eight at the time she was just like mom you should make a tiktok for your business And I did. And one of the videos I made was about like balancing productivity, how to be a mom and like an entrepreneur. And it did okay. And I think Mm. maybe like two weeks later, I did the good job song on TikTok. And it just like went viral, like 40,000 remakes of the song. And so I was like, oh, like you can do things with this. I've always been a content creator, just as a business owner. I'm a hairstylist. So I was like, I just got to make videos and like talk and people actually want to listen. And I think it resonated because of everything that you said. Like I try to make it relatable. I try not to be preachy. There are no shoulds on my channel. And I think that that's why it resonated. Also because most of the content creators in the peaceful parenting space do not look like me. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it was a breath of fresh air to a lot of people that maybe didn't have representation in the gentle parenting space.
0: I think it's a really valid point honestly like I remember the day I discovered you and this was like long before I approached you for the podcast and I'm like scrolling like probably like a a. (laughs) 1am should be sleeping as we all do and came across I think it might have been the video no it was before like your daughter like big big mad video it was I don't know it was back there And it was just essentially talking about how, yeah, like it was a while ago and it was talking about like, if you want to react to say, or you want to yell, or you might want to hit, and that might be the easy thing to do. But then you, you know, realize that if you model a behavior, you have a conversation. Mm -hmm. This sort of was the gist of it. And my husband and I had been having these conversations about gentle discipline or responsive, you know, parenting and gentle parenting. There's like, I feel like there's lots of sort of synonyms for this style and approach out there. And I just felt like it was in such a relatable language for him to understand where I was coming from because in our household and and most of the listeners know like we're in a like interracial marriage and the majority of my friend group is African and, you know, Caribbean and West Indies. And so there's a lot of like, oh, that's a lot of like white people shit, you know, like that's a lot of a child would never talk to their black mother that way or whatever. A lot of that. And so I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is so relatable. And it just rings so true to so much of what the current parenting world and, frankly, science is speaking to, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had that experience. Like, I heard that all the time. Like, this is white people shit. And even when I first had my kids, I had a lot of family members, like, you know, that would frown their nose up or, like, have criticisms and opinions. And when I grew up, The definition of respect looked a lot different than my personal definition Mm, of respect. And so there there were definitely things that I had to reconcile within myself when I became a parent um, and just figuring out how those things have impacted me in my parenting journey. And so I definitely a thousand percent can relate to that.
0: Mm. You bring up, I think, one of the hottest topics, even like within my home, as this idea of respect. Yeah, I think that that's just a really big one, like maybe for my husband to get, you know, to like see it through a different lens. I don't know. It's just a really big conversation that comes up because in allowing our children to voice their emotions or maybe have independence and maybe say like they don't feel like doing something right now or whatever that might look like, how it comes across – it might be very disrespectful or be perceived as disrespectful. So can we like talk that through in your home? Like, how do you approach respect? What is okay and what is not okay? And like, I guess another piece that takes onto this is being respectful doesn't mean not having boundaries either, right? So I feel like that's sort of a twofold conversation
1: there. Yeah, so it is twofold. The first half of that, I would say, you know, I'm not preachy. I'm not really into shoulds. I think that what's most important is us understanding our personal values And not necessarily our cultural values, our parents' values, but really understanding what our defaults are, what feels good to say. I always say, say that out loud, I value blank. And if it doesn't sound true, there's probably some iffiness there. And so for me personally, there are things that I value more than blind compliance. There are plenty of things Mm -hmm. that I value more than that, whereas some parents don't see it that way. And so it would be just such work for me to try to convince a parent who genuinely values that and sees, you know, merit in that for whatever reason. I mean, there are plenty of parents that their environment quite literally needs their children to comply. And, you know, we don't have time for X, Y, and Z. And so I empathize with those situations, but at the same time, for me, personally, that's not something that I value over connection over mutual respect, over equity, um, over kindness, over play, over communication. And so for me, my values are not in blind compliance. The other side of that conversation is really misusing the word respect. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times respect in parenting or disrespect in parenting really just means you're inconveniencing me, (laughs) Mm. you're making me uncomfortable. And I am under the notion that we're both here to stretch, grow, teach each other. And so there is a level of equity and just in our humanity. And so it's not about me being inconvenienced. It's very much collaborative. I inconvenience them sometimes. It doesn't mean that I'm disrespecting them, but we don't treat anybody else that way. Just because, you know, my friend inconveniences me, it doesn't mean that I'm going to respond as if she's disrespected me in some huge way. and. I guess it kind of makes me sad that sometimes we respond to our kids that way.
0: Hmm. When you put it like that, it really sounds like respect often is like equated with compliance or like listening right away or on the first time. Yep. Right. And when I think about respect from, let's say, another adult human being that I'm interacting with, I'm not maybe expecting them to listen on the first time. I'm. Well, I'm not. I'm not expecting them to listen on the first time I ask. I'm not, you know... I really am like expecting that they would use kind or like respectful language in our interaction, that there would be a collaboration to like sort through a misunderstanding that we would see each other as like, you know, teammates trying to sort something out. And it would really be about being able to maybe have a disagreement or have a misunderstanding or be in this relationship with one another and be able to respect the value of each of our parts in that and be able to still sort through the disagreement or the misunderstanding or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. That's the collaborative piece. And it's always interesting to me to have a conversation with parents that are a little bit more punitive and then to hear what collaboration looks like for them in their adult lives. It's often either it's completely different and they treat adult humans better than they treat their kids or there are very much similarities where they power over the people in their lives or they feel powered over. I think one time it was a video that I made with my four-year-old where I was like giving her all these options to get her to brush her teeth. And mm. someone was like, well, you know, she's not going to have options like that when she's an adult. And I'm like, I can't think of many instances in my life where I don't have options. Like that's such a a limited view. And I just personally want to train my children, teach my children to be adults eventually, like they're kids and I honor their youth. And at the same time, we don't just grow adult skills by osmosis. Like we aren't emotionally intelligent. We don't have good interpersonal relationships out of nowhere. So we have to start to treat them with the same respect, honor that we treat adults with.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like binging all your content in preparation (laughs) for this interview. Not creepy or awkward at all. (laughs) And I was seeing the one where your daughter was like whining for pizza, you know, and I think that one particularly was talking about boundaries or some of them in around there were talking about boundaries because there is this real... And this is something I even question myself sometimes trying to respectful parent. And I also have a neurodivergent child. And that really complicates the situation. Like, am I holding a boundary here? You know, like I am. Mm. It's, But it's not uh, one of the things that you had said on your Instagram page. Um, It may have been even just like a static feed post was, I put my foot down, but I do it gently, you know. And I think that that really sums up like, there are boundaries in respectful or gentle or empowered parenting. And so what do you have to say when people bring this up, which I'm sure they probably do all the time?
1: All day, every day, there is this misconception (laughs) that gentle parents don't discipline their kids and there aren't any boundaries and they can just do whatever they want to do. And I think the main reason is because oftentimes when we give our children space to have feelings, parents see that as kids are out of control parents don't have any control of the situation. And what they're not seeing is, well, my child is having big feelings because I didn't give them what they wanted or mm-hmm. because I made them get off of the coffee table. like, Or they're in the grocery store lying on the floor because I held the boundary. And what parents that aren't gentle parents are really saying, it's not that they want us to discipline our kids. I think they know we discipline our kids. I think that they want us to punish our kids after they don't like... The discipline, like, it's like, yeah, you didn't give the kid the candy in the candy store, but he needs to get up off the floor while he's crying. Mm. Like, I need you to make that stop.
0: Right. Make the big feeling stop. Make the behavior stop.
1: Because it's inconvenient and it's Mm. uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it looks like disrespect to a lot of parents to see a child flipping their lid. And I really think that that's what it is, but it's not articulated in that way.
0: Yeah, the behavior or the feelings or the tantrum being interpreted as like disrespectful to the parent. Like your child is not behaving in public, for example, yeah. or something like that, right? It's being interpreted as disrespect or not complying or something
1: along those lines. And I asked this question then if my kid could genuinely do whatever they wanted to do, if they were walking all over me, why would they need to cry? <laughs> why would they have big feelings? If they always got what they wanted, they would be fine. Like, they would be super happy. No, my kids get upset all the time. They get frustrated. They get mad. They get sad. They cry because there are boundaries within their environment. Some that are just because they're smaller and then others because they're based on my values. And sometimes it is a no. When it was 11 o'clock last night and my four-year-old still was bouncing (laughs) around last like, what the heck? Right. Yeah, it's time to go to sleep. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we have the boundaries, but I think that it comes down to sometimes they just want us to punish. <laughs> like, mm. like, you need to make it stop. But the only way that you can genuinely force a child to stop a behavior is to make them small, to disempower them. That's the only way mm. to make it stop immediately.
0: Well, and from a therapist's perspective, when we do that either by yelling which I mean this isn't to shame anybody lord knows I've raised my voice like you know we all do our best and sometimes our capacity is better on some days than others but like I mean yelling like to intimidate or like yelling to like shut the behavior down or by like hitting or whatever we do like activating fear in our child to shut down their emotions right it's actually activating their anxiety or their fight or flight response so some of the most Quote unquote compliant children are often activated in their anxiety or their fight or flight. And so yes. compliance doesn't mean change behavior. Compliance doesn't mean they are understanding, you know, the lesson that you're trying to teach them in that moment. It just means that like you've activated their fear response and they've either shut down or quietly walked away from the situation or whatever that looks like. And really, we've missed that teachable moment or that connection moment to really teach the real lesson there.
1: Exactly. And I think that the compliance is, it's getting in the way of something else. Like eventually a child can become compliant and shut down and do whatever you said. But when you force it, I always say, if you force a child out of that developmental stage, they just get stuck there. Mm. They get stuck there. And then you have adults that are mature and emotionally immature. Like Mm. myself, like I was for so long and struggling in interpersonal relationships and with regulation and with the stress tolerance, all of these things because quite literally I didn't get the opportunity to move through those things in a developmentally appropriate way. And I did not have those things modeled to me. It was almost like, and I see this often, it's almost like adults expect more from children than they do from themselves. And the pizza example you we were talking about, my daughter was demanding a slice of pizza and Maybe if you're not a gentle parent, you might have, you know, said no, ask or you need to do this. And what's ironic about that is that if I'm trying to teach you not to make a demand, but then I'm demanding something from you, I'm literally expecting you at four to have the capability to do something that I, at 29, do not have the capability to do. Mm -hmm. And you see that so often. You need to control your emotions, but you just yelled right the child right you need to sit there and be still but you're literally on your phone on instagram like you know it's those kind of things where we don't realize that you're probably asking way too much of a child Mm. and probably not modeling the things that you know we want i i think that when children grow up in environments where behaviors are modeled it's much easier for them to do that and sometimes like you said sometimes we miss the mark and it's about giving ourselves grace And giving our kids grace as well
0: you bring up a really important point about like our own family of origin and how we were raised Mm -hmm. right because if we were raised in a household where anger wasn't allowed yeah or maybe anger was the only emotion expressed like everybody (laughs) comes from different environments right or emotions were always shut down All we learn to do in those moments is, well, I need to make this emotion go away. Away. I need to shut it down. I need to avoid it. And we learn that emotions are bad or we learn that they need to be avoided at all costs rather than seeing them as communication from our own selves and our own bodies, Mm -hmm. right? One of the things you had a video about anger and embracing your anger So it sounds like this is something that you've been learning yourself so that you can model for your daughter.
1: Man, I'm so in touch with my emotions, but anger was like, it caused so much destruction in my life Mm. for a really long time. And the reason is because I grew up in a household where I wasn't suppressing my anger because I was told that anger was bad, but nobody was modeling anything else. So it was this constant programming of what you're doing is bad, but it's okay that other people do it to you so while I continued to model the anger because I didn't know anything else to do I still felt a lot of shame around it so Mm. I didn't suppress it I was like you are bad like you're bad and you literally don't know what else to do so just I always say like I just live the hell out of that role. I was like if we're gonna do it let's go big or go home and I just did so many crazy things in relationships and just to myself because I didn't have a good relationship with my anger. And so I really got that light bulb moment, maybe a year ago, just through like my own personal work and coaching. And I'm so good at holding space for my kids emotions. But it was something about when my daughter would get angry that I felt disgust inside of me. And Mm -hmm. while I wouldn't get mad at her, I would literally just shut down.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like I had no compassion It was almost like my child just didn't look like my child to me anymore. Like Mm -hmm. all the gentle parenting would just go out the window and I'd be like, all right, well, talk to me when you're done.
0: Mm -hmm. Like
1: it was that energy of like, I can't do this. And it was literally like, I can't sit with anger because I don't know what to do with it. And my body was literally like panicking. And then it's directed at me at a small person. I don't know what to do with this. Mm -hmm. The sad part about that, though, is then she felt unsafe with her own anger And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was to the point where I was almost like, how are we even going to get past this phase? Like, all of a sudden, my nine-year-old, my eight-year-old is throwing tantrums. Like, we never had that before. And now it was like, I hate you. Stuff I would never say to my parents to my black parents, okay? I feel
0: like all my <laughs> friends would be like, my mom would grab the closest shoe. And what? On me. Like, that's the jokes in my circle of friends, right? Like I would have been hit with a shoe so fast or whatever mom could whatever grab. Was like, close. Yeah.
1: I mean, and I've had arguments with my mom. Like full blown what the heck arguments. And I still would not say that. Like something about I hate you, mom, is just like that's the ultimate, but when I talk to like my white clients or like anybody that's not black, oh yeah, like oh my god, my kids said they hate me. You're the worst, <laughs> blah blah blah. And I was just... <laughs> because it genuinely is, it is normal. It is normal. Mm. It's just not what was culturally normal for me growing up. And so when I heard that, I. Panicked, and I was like, "Oh my God, maybe this is white people shit. Maybe I that's have- like that's my
0: question for you, like, because I have these moments sometimes, right? Like where I'm allowing a behavior to be expressed to a point. I have boundaries. Respect is required. We can talk about tone in a minute. Gentle parenting doesn't always mean being fluffy yeah. and happy. So there are boundaries, but sometimes I do question, like, is this is this the right way? Is this the right way? Like it's hard to know that line. So I can imagine that moment, particularly for you, being like. You would never say that to your parents and you're hearing your daughter say this. It must've just been a moment of like, oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) Yes, but one of the tenets of empowered parenting, respectful parenting, whatever, is flexibility and Mm. acceptance and honoring. And so I always stick to my core values of freedom, communication, connection. And so in that instance, I really did not know what to do, but I always believe that Our kids aren't giving us a hard time. You know, they're having a hard time, like Dr. Becky says. And so I was like, I just need new tools. Every child is not going to be the same. Children go through things. Like my daughter has experienced a lot of trauma, a lot of grief. And so after I was able to step out of it and deal with my own process and my own anger, I was like, my child really needs me. And if Mm -hmm. I get stuck here and I don't show up as the sturdy, safe place for her, She's going to have a bad relationship with her anger. She's going to struggle with distress tolerance and emotional regulation and all of these things. And so I took it upon myself and I was like, dude, whatever you need to do to be the strong, supportive rock, you're going to have to figure that out. And you're you may have to hear I hate you, mom, for a few months, Mm. but you're going to get some tools and some boundaries and some compassion. You're going to do whatever you have to do, some coaching so that you can be That strong, connected, and limit-setting rock that your specific child needs. So you're right. Gentle parenting looks different for all of us, but it also looks different at different seasons Mm -hmm. in our life. Mm -hmm. My daughter, for a long time, she needed more kid gloves. My nine-year-old needed more kid gloves Mm -hmm. than my four-year-old did. And I had to baby step certain things because she was, it's about development, right? Mm -hmm. it's not about age. And I had to be willing to do that. And she's made so much growth in her emotional intelligence and distress tolerance and all of that. Because I was like, you know what, I have to parent the child that's in front of me. That's it. I have to parent the child that's in front of me.
0: Right. Well, and you need to parent the need, not the Mm -hmm. behavior, right? And so it's like, here is, you know, I hate you. Really, what I'm saying is I'm angry or I'm upset about, you've done a video about transitioning like back and forth and, you know, from homes or whatever. Like, Maybe transitions are hard or something has shifted in in her little life that makes life hard right now. And I think that when this symptom or like the expression of the need feels disrespectful or becomes disrespectful is when we get hooked into this, like, I don't think so. That's not how you're going to speak to me, kind of, you know, and we really miss the mark on the true need that is happening for her in that moment, right? Mm -hmm.
1: I think the, the language of that is what gets parents stripped up. Sometimes it's just like, well, I'm just always supposed to be responding to their needs, blah, blah, blah. But the reason that I respond to needs is because if I only look at the behavior, then my child is going to start to become disconnected from her actual needs, and she's mm-hmm. not going to learn how to express them. And that can go a variety of different ways in adulthood. Right. And so it's like the example of like a kid jumping on the couch, and you're just like, get off of the couch, and you're dealing with the behavior that child doesn't learn what to do with their energy. <laughs> they don't learn what to do when they desire movement in their bodies. And so it really isn't about like, oh, they need you know play or they need the cup or whatever. No, it really is. I want to know what you need so that I can help you feel safe in your body, safe in your thoughts, safe in your emotions. And outside of this moment, I can teach all the, the language part is easy. The make a request and all of that, is easy. I want to make sure that you feel like a whole person so that when I try to teach you this language, it actually lands and sticks and resonates for years.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they can then like pause, try to understand what their own need is and articulate it rather than just defining themselves by their behavior, which is kind of yes. like what you had said happened when like, well, I'm bad and I'm going to play the hell out of that role, you know? And it doesn't mean that you allow them to keep jumping on the couch, potentially. Like, in our home, okay, I recently bought new furniture, so, like, maybe the it changed a little bit, the rules around whether they could jump on the couch or not, whatever. But it's like, okay, you can go jump on the couch downstairs, you have your pogo stick you can jump on, you yeah. have these, like, disc bouncy things. There are three other options for you to jump on. Mommy's couch is not one of them want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so, you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life changing, science based, myth busting podcast that's a must listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like calorie smart, keto, protein plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on the go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. I think this brings us back to that tone conversation because I think I don't know, when I think about like, oh, that being some like white people shit or like some of the comments and jokes that fly around with my friends, it's always this like really passive, like, oh, if you could please type of tone, you know, and that's not the case. And you've got a video on this. I'll, I'll, I'll pass it to you in terms of the various tones that come in this space as well. It's not just monotone and I don't know.
1: No, it's not. One of my community <laughs> members that commented and was like, how am I supposed to sound like Mary Poppins when I'm Mary And <laughs> I,
0: <laughs> That's actually so As funny. Like,
1: <laughs> exactly. So I actually have a very gentle tone. Like I joke that like, I don't do the Elmo voice, but I do have a very gentle tone just day by day. Like I want my kids to feel like gentleness around me. And I like call them sweet girl and I'm always kissing them, kissing them, And like, Saying I love you all the time, I'm very gentle. When there's discipline, it does not resonate. <laughs> mm-hmm. It does not resonate, and I think that because I save this tone for those moments, I don't have to yell. I don't have to hit them like they they understand. Like okay, this is a bit more of a serious moment. Like let me listen in. So yeah, tone is gonna be different depending on the situation, and that's just being intuitive and in tune with my child. There are moments when, like you talked about containment. There are moments when my daughter is like, words are getting so big that I'm like, I have to contain this. And the nine-year-old, I'm like, if I'm whispering, she's going to overpower that. And there are certain things that she doesn't need to say right now because Mm. it's not, she's not safe for herself right now. Mm. So I will like grab her face and like, I'm louder. And I'm like, Ken, I'm right here. It is safe. It is safe. You do not have to say that. Like Mm. that, if I was like, it's okay, I'm right here. No, no. She's going to be like, I'm yeah. big, my anger is huge, and my mom is small, and she can't handle my anger right now. So mm-hmm. I do. She does need me to be that strong ship for her sometimes. But you got to be intuitive.
0: So valid. Like, you have to, like, meet them where they're at in a way. Like, obviously, we're not, like, one-upping and escalating with each other. Yeah, but I if if the, if the situation is very tense and we cannot sort of like match the seriousness of it or something, then it might just fall like by the wayside or not be taken seriously or maybe even provoke further because if it doesn't feel
1: like we're yes. taking their needs serious
0: enough, you know. So there is something to be said for being able to be very stern in a boundary, but that still can be connected and respectful and responsive. And and this is something that You had also said we do sparingly so that when we do do it, Mm -hmm. our children know that we're very serious, right? Like I try very hard to say no or don't do this or don't do that and whatever. And some days I'm better than others. And some days the kids are (laughs) better at listening (laughs) than others. But I will say, and I think that they're pretty attuned to know that like mommy is getting frustrated now and you can hear it in my voice. Like listen to my voice. I'm getting frustrated. I've asked you 10 times now and it's enough you know, that they are like, okay, shoot, like, I better get it together. You know,
1: if I don't literally use those words, if I don't say I'm frustrated, I'm angry, if I don't, they're gonna be like, well, you're showing that you have feelings. And (laughs) you're not (laughs) saying it. So it's hilarious. Yeah, My daughter's always like, you're, it's in your eyebrows, your frustration is in your
0: eyebrows. That's so funny. So my kids are a little bit younger, so they're not there yet. But as therapist kids, I can just imagine, like, it comes back to you, right? Like, they're going to be like, um, mommy, do you need to go, like, take some deep breaths? They
1: hold (laughs) you accountable. They really do. Like, the other day, I was just, like, in a rush. And I was just like, come on. Like, just let's go. And she was, like, gentle, huh? And I I was like, okay, Ken, like, you're right. Like, but it always, always comes back to my values. And so in a moment... Like, connection is just one of my values. And so if it's not connecting, like, I can try to be playful. And sometimes it works with the four-year-old. But if it's not connecting, Mm -hmm. I have to try a different tone. I have to try a different route. And, like, last night, again, I told you they were up to, like, 1130 last night. And so I finally get the 10-year-old in the bed or 9-year-old in the bed. And I was just like, okay, Kennedy, I have to go. Like, that's enough. I'm out of here. We're not reading Harry Potter. And (laughs) she goes... Well, I guess you're just not going to pray for me. (laughs) And I was like, I am totally missing the mark. There were so many reasons that it was 1130. First of all, it was entirely my fault because you're editing a TikTok video. (laughs) And I was like, am I really about to completely dismiss my value of connection when literally it would just take 10 minutes Mm. to read two pages, say a prayer because of my Mm. frustration? And my just need for urgency. Go to bed right now because I'm tired and blah, blah, blah. I've been up and da, da, da. And I was like, wait, no, let me come back. So I actually appreciate that my kids are so vocal because it snaps me right back. I'm so glad mm-hmm. my kids are not scared of me. Like My parents would never say that, but I am so glad that they're not scared of me because they check me. I don't know if you saw the video I just made where it was like, you should ask your kids like for feedback. Like, what's your experience of me?
0: Mm, I didn't see that one. That has been
1: so helpful. I need to know when I'm messing up, like, tell me I'm shitty. Right. (laughs) What's
0: your experience of me? That's really interesting. So like, there's been, I don't know, a few times when obviously, we all like raise our voice or have hard days, stressful days. And Mm -hmm. one of my sons in particular, will be like, you were really mean. Like, that was mean. And I'm like, Oh, buddy. I'm sorry. Not to mention he was acting like a freaking little a-hole, but we won't address that. But (laughs) I I was mean. Yes. But like, you know, but, but like his experience of me in that moment was like, your face looked really mean and you were really, you know, he's like telling me about like his experience. And I'm like, you know what, buddy, you're right. Like I was really frustrated because of the situation and I got really mad and I'm sorry for that. Like You know, and we were able to like repair and work it through. And that is so important because we are human. And this is one of the reasons that I think I connect with the work that you do so much is there is no judgment. There is no real prescriptive piece to it. It's like we're human. We're out here trying our best and we will get it wrong, but we try to be flexible. We try to return to our values and get it right. And so when we repair, we have that conversation then he knows like, I am sorry. I I take his perception and experience of that situation seriously. And I don't want that to happen again. You know, like I don't want to get mad or have him feel like I'm really mean or whatever again. Mm. And so that flexibility to repair and to observe ourselves and think of ourselves and not be just really tethered to or rigid in our roles and what respect looks like and and in some of these things,
1: and I think what you kind of pointed out right there is like repair is so important. and a lot of times parents think that repair is just saying sorry." And so sometimes if they genuinely don't feel like they did anything or if they really didn't do anything, they're like, "Why would I say sorry?" And I don't personally apologize if I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. However, repair can still happen without the words "I'm sorry." And so I'll give you an example. Last night, my daughter rushed in the room and she was like, mom, I want to show you something. And I was coloring with the four-year-old and I was like, give me a second, I'm coloring. And so the nine-year-old rushed out of the bath, out of the room and was like, you don't love me. Just mm. all of that, right? And so I still held the boundary. This is special time with your sister. You understood that. You knew that. And so we finished the picture and then I went and found my daughter I'm not going to say, I'm not into like, I'm sorry, your feelings are hurt. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's not ownership. And I wasn't going to say, I'm sorry. I I was calling her with your sister. She didn't need an apology. She just needed to be seen Mm -hmm. in that moment. And so I didn't go through all of the, of course, I love you. I just tell me how you're feeling. And she was like, I feel like you care about your sister. And I'm like, that must be so difficult. What do you need? What do you need right now? Do you need some love? Do you need some attention? You know, sometimes I'm with your sister right now. I'm with you. What do you need right now? Mm -hmm. Because I want to show up for you. I didn't have to say sorry, there was a clear, like you said, there was a clear need. And I think that sometimes repairing the moment isn't about the words I'm sorry, it's not about an apology. Sometimes it really is about empathy, allowing our kids the space to feel their feelings and then showing up with presence and support in whatever the way that they need in the moment. By me doing that, she understood my mom does care about me. My mom does want to give me attention. She is available for my emotions. And showing her that was a lot more powerful than me just saying, I'm sorry that I wasn't – that I was coloring with your sister.
0: Right. Like, when you say you're sorry, you're, like, taking that responsibility onto you when, like, you had clearly maybe set out this time with your four-year-old or whatever – so it wasn't so much about something that you had done. It was just she needed you in that same moment, and you're one person, right? So I'm one
1: person. Yeah,
0: also. you're one person.
1: It's just me here. I'm outnumbered, but yeah, I don't. I'm not going to apologize for a boundary. That's confusing. Mm-hmm. That's confusing. I don't apologize for boundaries. I understand, support you through the discomfort of the boundary, mm. but the boundary is the boundary, and. Boundaries keep us all safe. And I remind her, like, when it's me and your special time, it's important that we all honor that.
0: Right. I protect that time, too. I wouldn't apologize for Mm -hmm. that. Right. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And she understands that.
0: Maybe one last thing before we wrap up here that comes in from my community and questions a lot is, like, as a single mother, I don't get time for myself. Or, like, I'm so burnt out. Or I'm so, you know, like, maybe more easily triggered because it's all on me, which— I mean, I can really respect. I've seen you do some videos about how you find some moments for yourself. What might be a few things for single moms or single solo parents out there who are trying to implement this into their lives?
1: I mean, I know that there's a lot of language around, you know, setting boundaries and having fun, yada, yada. But I personally think that the first step for me before changing anything was finding ways to make peace with, my situation, finding ways to make peace with the fact that I don't have support, peace with the fact that my schedule is crazy, that I'm outnumbered. And for me, that was things like therapy, that was things like journaling, that was things like taking care of my body, just being able to fully be Mm -hmm. okay with what is going on right now before I make any external Mm -hmm. changes. And that in itself was such a major shift in my presence and the way that I showed up and the way that I perceived possibilities and so because I was in a better space my actions were in alignment with the new beliefs that I was creating the whole time that I was like this is a death sentence this is the worst thing ever that's what I was acting on and so I hear people that are like I can't find support there's nobody Mm -hmm. like I don't have anybody I'm like we have to deal with that belief before I can even give you resources because whatever resource I give you you're probably gonna sabotage it or you're gonna throw it out the window because of that negative belief. And so for me, it was starting there. And then I was like, I felt good. I'm like, yeah, sure. I can you know, talk to the mom in the pickup line or yeah, I can get on meetups and we can go do things together so that I can meet other families so that I can get support. And I think that it transitioned how much money I made so that I was able to pay for things that are more convenient, not have to cook every night or be able to pay for a nanny. And I don't mean to sound like woo-woo, like it's it's much more than manifesting it. Quite literally, I felt better. So I was able to yeah. do more. So I think that that's where I would start.
0: That growth mindset, right? Yeah. And like when you deal with some of these core beliefs, then you can believe different things for yourself, bigger things for yourself. This is sort of like a sidestep. And in terms of building this business, my husband and I joked the first year, all I did was he was my therapist pretty much in all my like limiting beliefs I was bumping up against because it was like, who are you? Who does this? Da, 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 you know? And so I can see how beliefs play such a big role, especially if we're talking about like beliefs where, uh, like in therapy that come up a lot with, whether it's single moms or just generally speaking, it's like, you know, people leave and people, like like abandonment and resentment and, you know, no one really does care or like people aren't trustworthy or like, I don't know, whatever that is, right? There's, I'm sure there's lots of different experiences people have And so if we have that lens through which we're perceiving even our support system potentially or whatever, it can be limiting for us at times. So I appreciate that perspective and how you speak about practicing moments by yourself when your child is not dysregulated so that when you do need a moment, they can give you a moment.
1: Independent play. I would say this independent play is my babysitter. It's like... Mm. It took so long. And I think that when people see a snippet of a video on my Instagram or something, they're like, well, my kid wouldn't do that. And I'm like, yeah, two years ago when we started doing this, I promised my four-year-old wouldn't sit and play by herself for 45 minutes. But I really was like very intentional about, okay, we're going to set a timer for a minute. And I'm going to go and I'm going to be gone right outside here. And then I'm going to come back. And I, over time, expanded that. And it's a part of the culture of our home. I mean, I told you one of my values, number one, honestly, is freedom. And so mm. we're all allowed to take space breaks. Four-year-old, you want to go in your room and lock the door? I mean, I, I can unlock it, but if you, that's what you need to do to signal that you need space, go ahead. Your sister's got her door locked. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to play right now. Like, it's so important in my home and it's in the culture of our home. I know, again, it comes down to values. We don't typically eat together. We're always in each mm. other's spaces. <laughs> By six o'clock. Yes, please. Fine. Go talk to people that are your age or like go do whatever you want to do. Take your space break. And so Mm -hmm. we practice that. So that way it's not like when I'm really like triggered or it's hitting the fan. It's not an emergency in that sense. I really can step away because I practice it when we're not triggered.
0: And they know the boundary, like the boundary has been set, it's been practiced, it's been established. It's like when my little, and like he's the the youngest, he's three years old, and so he's like, maybe not so little anymore, but he's the youngest of three boys. And he'll be like, I'm going to take a shower because it's literally the only way on the weekend I may be carving out like 15 minutes of silence for myself. And he's like, mommy, but can I like come in yes. the shower with you? I'm like, no, <laughs> no you I cannot. Know. you're adorable. And I love you. And like, the thought of that is kind of adorable. But no, like, I just need a minute to myself. Yes. And holding those boundaries are just are really important. And and they're not luxurious breaks. And we think of self-care and it's, you know, there's all no. this like controversy and of how we experience self-care, but boundaries, even within your home and with your children as a form of self-care so that you can buy that space break, as you said, or establish some of that within the home adjust it allows for these little restorative pauses throughout the day so that we can reset our nervous system I can process the tantrum I just dealt with, or whatever it is, and then I can show up again now for like my second half of the shift in the day, and be like, "We're gonna handle this." Clocking back in, yeah.
1: I do want to say this before we go. Something that I see with single moms a lot, and that I know I struggle with myself, is that there is a strong sense of pride, and sometimes there is overcompensating, and so a lot of times it's not even necessarily a lack of capability but more so just a lack of capacity and willingness to lean into certain things. I know specifically for me, I homeschooled Mm -hmm. since she was in kindergarten. And I had so much pride around this. And then I finally got to the point where I was like, I need a boundary around this. Like I need help. And it took so much inside of me to admit like, this is getting in the way of me being a mom because I don't have any time to Mm -hmm. myself. And so she just recently went to school in January, but there is that belief in that narrative that we have to do it all, be all, be super mom. And like, nobody's going to teach my kid better than me. (laughs) Like I'm not a teacher, but I just have this, this in my head. And I think that sometimes we have to acknowledge that we don't have to do everything. And sometimes there is somebody that's actually better For the job. Like, we don't have to be amazing at everything just to be their mom.
0: And it's so healthy for them to have other mentors and attachment figures in their life that bring them different perspectives. And that is all very healthy for their development as well. And I can see that when I work with like moms who maybe dad is left or isn't in the picture. And even a really good friend of mine, I'm thinking of where it's like, I have to be mom and dad. Like I have to show up in both of these ways. And so like, I can imagine that added sense of pressure for her because she's not splitting that role. She's not falling Mm -hmm. back on anyone. Like she felt all that on her to be everything. Like I'm mom and dad, I'm having this talk and I'm having this talk, like I'm doing it all. So I can see the pressure to be perfect or like the weight, I can imagine the weight that that must feel like, you know. But that none of us are perfect and they're within our communities and the support systems we establish around us, there are really well suited people to support in those roles with us. And, you know, we can only we're only one person. We're Ready? only one person. We're only one person. And if you're if you're
1: outnumbered, you definitely need to give yourself some credit.
0: <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find you? Run to TikTok and, and where can they in, take in all your content?
1: Yes, it's destiny.an, So destin ian on TikTok and on Instagram. And that's my website as well.
0: Hmm. And do you have any course offerings or things coming up that you want to tell people about if they want to learn more from you?
1: Absolutely. So I have a ton of resources on my website, DustyAnn.com. I do have a coaching program as well that I have a waitlist for, but my book is on pre-order right now. It's called Very Intentional Parenting. And so you can see that link in my bio as well.
0: Oh my goodness. I'm going to have to get a copy and maybe yes. when you're doing press for the book, we'll we'll see about having you back. But thank you. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much as well.
0: Oh my goodness, wasn't that such a fun and informative conversation with Destiny Ann? If you don't already follow her on TikTok or Instagram, I encourage you to take in her content. One of the things I find in the gentle, respectful, responsive parenting space is that sometimes when consuming the content, it can feel prescriptive or parents share that they had to like unfollow parenting accounts because it just makes them feel like they're doing things incorrectly or wrong. It makes them feel insecure about the way that they're parenting. And Destiny Anne's content is not like that at all. It is so real and relatable, but also teaches you new things and gives you scripts and examples of how to implement them in real life. I am such a fan of her work and what she's doing, and you can take in parenting advice while also feeling like you're doing a good job on this crazy parenthood ride. If you feel like your family of origin or your culture has really impacted your ability to regulate your emotions or your ability to tolerate and sit with your emotions and understand them, and you're having a hard time modeling that for your children, or maybe even sitting with their big feelings and emotions, I encourage you to book in a free 15-minute consult with one of the therapists from our wellness center. This is a really common thing that comes up as we enter into parenthood, is that we live sort of one foot in our childhood, and our past, remembering how we were parented, while also trying to parent in the current and for the future for our children. And there is a lot that comes up during this time. It's a really frequent time actually that people enter therapy as they're trying to reconcile their upbringing with how we're also now trying to parent our own children. Our mom therapists are niched down and specialized in doing this work. So head to happyasamother.co slash wellness to learn more and book your free 15-minute consult. I'll see you right back here next week, same time, same place, where Kate Mangino will be joining the show to help us unpack gendered norms and how they contribute to the invisible load that we carry. This is an amazing conversation. You do not want to miss out. I'll see you back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.